Welcome. It has been a while. I've missed you. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Uh, thank you for uh, those joining us online as well. It is great and fantastic, and it is a great day to worship God together. Uh, I am looking forward to this time and our time uh, together as we continue to now worship in the, in the mode of the Word of God as we just experienced sung worship. Uh, we are in a current sermon series called Asking for a Friend. It's those tough questions that you don't want to ask, and so you want to ask them yourself, but you're scared, you're embarrassed, you're shy, you don't want to be judged, and so you blame it on your friend, and you throw your friend under the bus, and you say, I'm asking for a friend, but it's really for you. And so whether it's for you or whether it's for your friend, it doesn't matter. We want to be able to address these tough uh, subjects because some subjects, as you are aware, are awkward and and hard to handle, and so uh, when we teach them through the Word of God, as the Word of God addresses them for relevant and good living, it helps to give us handles in which to carry these tough and delicate subjects into Christian living. Uh, our subject today is anger. That's right, anger in its purest form. The human experience, we experience so much anger, don't we? We experience a form of wrath. We want to give it out and we, we, we are quick to claim that it is righteous anger so that we have the, 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 the means to get away with the wrath and the destruction that we leave behind or give someone a sharp tongue lashing in the name of righteous, passionate anger. But as we dive into anger, you're going to see that it does a lot more destructive things. As a matter of fact, uh, it's pretty hard to play the righteous anger card because it seems that most anger humans experience is rather sinful and not righteous. That's a humbling statement. I've experienced serious anger in my life. I can admit that to you. You know, the odd time it has happened to me, my anger has really come out. Sometimes I seriously have scared myself, for real, depending on what level of anger I've exuded. I struggled deeply in my early days when I came to Jesus as a young adult, 23. I struggled, believe it or not, with a temper. I know that's hard for some of you to believe because you only know me as the angel. You know, the, the stage is very bright, so it's hard to see the halo. But in the dark, it's there. As a matter of fact, uh, my wife took a picture of me in my anger. It's pretty scary. Uh, this is what I look like when I'm angry. Yeah, yeah. Do you see the resemblance? Yeah, yeah. I call him Asian Hulk. Yes. The world is an angry place. Whether it's road rage or parking rage or mask rage or bylaw rage or vaccine rage, shopping rage, computer rage, checkout line rage, like checkout grocery line rage. Are you that person? Don't put up your hand. I know who you are. Do, are you that person? You line up in the grocery line at the item, the express lane, 12 items or less, and you're counting the person in front of you how many items they have? And if they have 14, they're dead? It's rage. It's anger. You know, there's, 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 the, there's a, uh, yes, driving rage, road rage. There's golf rage. That one seems to get me a lot. There's sports rage, and that's a lot of rage. As a matter of fact, one of the first stories in the book of Genesis is a story we know of two brothers. Their names were Cain and Abel, and that ended in serious anger and the progression of anger very quickly led to sinful anger 
and murder of his own brother. Cain kills Abel, his brother. Anger in general is not a good thing and the Bible has much to say about it. Before we get there, let me read to you this, this amazing quote by a guy named Robert Jones in his book, Uprooting Anger. He writes this, anger is easier to describe than to define. Our anger is our whole person in active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Let's begin with a humbling observation. Most human anger is sinful. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So let's talk about some things about anger. Anger in the negative. Let's cover anger in the negative. Anger is at the root of many of our issues in the world. Wars. Greed. Divorce. Hate. Crimes. Whatever they may be. Anger is a root cause of many of our issues in the world. More than we would like to admit. But we constantly want to deny it. We use phrases like, well, I was passionate. Or we say, yeah, I wasn't angry, I was upset. For the right reasons. We throw that one in there all the time. I'm here for the right reasons. You know? Okay, so you were passionate and you were upset or you were irritated or you were annoyed. You're in a foul mood. Likely you were just angry. When we take time to analyze our anger, when someone has hurt us, we often intentionally or unintentionally think and feel, I will do to them what they have done to me except 10 times more. But because I love Jesus, I'm only going to do it to them two times more. So they should be thankful. James says, why do you quarrel and argue? It is because you do not get what you want. In James 1.19 to 20, he addresses a little bit about anger and conduct. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Notice all the verses I've read to you so far about anger. There's a comment about anger, and then there's a warning. In your, in your anger, warning, do not sin. Another warning, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Another warning, so that the devil may get a foothold on you. My dear brothers, you be, every one of you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Warning, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness or the life of righteousness that God desires, as other translations say. James' answer for an angry heart is not how to, but whom to? We must go to God himself. The problem lies with not wanting something so badly. Here's the problem. The problem lies with wanting something too badly. Uh, did you see the Oscars about two weeks ago, anybody? You're laughing. I, yes, yes, that's right. Because at the, uh, <laughs> at the Oscars, there, uh, host Chris Rock, comedic host Chris Rock, was hosting the Oscars, and uh, yes, Will Smith, you remember this? 
It's been all over the internet. It happened. It was the, one of the. It was hard to watch. Uh, if you haven't seen this yet, uh, I will give you a quick recap. But uh, let me jump further ahead before I give you the recap. After the, the this happened on a Sunday. Uh, for Chris Rock, where Will Smith slaps Chris Rock live on national television, where millions and millions and millions of people are watching. And now this is being played all over the internet, it's all over Twitter, all over every social media platform there is. And so the next day, Chris Rock had his uh, first uh, comedic stand-up show, and he opens with this line, so how was your weekend? Will Smith listens to a joke that Chris Rock makes from the, the, the Oscars platform as he's hosting. It was a joke, joke about G.I. Jane, because G.I. Jane is a movie back then with Demi Moore and she had shaved her head for this role and uh, uh, Will Smith's wife, Jada Pickett-Smith, has a shaved head because she has made public also her uh, alopecia disease, which is a uh, cause of hair loss. And so Chris Rock makes a comment that there's gonna be G.I. Jane part two starring Jada Pickett-Smith. At first, here's the crazy thing, Will Smith actually laughs about it and everybody he laughs because, hey, you're at the Oscars, they constantly roast each other, and you got Chris Rock doing this. I mean, what do you expect, right? And so everyone's laughing, it's a joke, and all of a sudden, Will Smith then looks over at his wife, and his wife is very dismayed and hurt. And what he does next is he's triggered to walk onto the uh, Oscars platform to which then Chris Rock puts his hands behind his back because he's like, well, hey, Will Smith is here. Ho, ho, ho. I can imagine all the producers in the back room going, what is he doing? What is he doing? What is he doing? And then Will Smith then slaps Chris Rock like as hard as he could, okay? As hard as he could on live national television. And Chris Rock you know, plays it off really cool and, and the whole thing would have been fine because Will Smith goes down back to the, the floor and seats, uh, seats himself beside his wife at his table and Chris Rock cracks some jokes to try to diffuse it. Everyone's going, wow, these guys are amazing actors because that slap looked real. Because it was real. And here's how everybody found out and it got really awkward. Because then as Chris Rock continues to host, uh, Will Smith makes a comment at the top of his lungs while he's cursing to say, leave my wife's name out of your mouth. And then he does it twice. By then the room gets incredibly awkward, incredibly sour, stiff. It's hard to watch. Everyone realizes this was not an act, but it was an act of anger and outrage. Chris Rock does his best to uh, continue to host the Oscars uh, and does so very well. Look, I'm not about to dissect this whole thing and spend a lot of time on this, but here's what I would like to say. I really like both of them, and that was sad to watch. It was hard for me to watch. It, it, it was terrible. And whatever your opinion on the incident, whether it be, well, you know, Will, Will Smith stuck up for his wife, what a good man, what a good husband, or the guy clearly cannot take a joke, or even that, you know what, Chris Rock shouldn't have said that, so he deserved it. Uh, many opinions for sure, you're entitled to that. But know this, violence done to another, clearly not in the act of self-defense, is never good or can never be justified. It could have been a confrontation after the event in private with a few, or just the two of them, or the three of them, or with a friend. It's biblical. But instead, there was a reactive display of anger. And when you're angry, here's the question. What are you defending? What are you defending? 
In Pastor Daniel's opening message of the series, Asking Our Friend, he spoke about how there's a thing beneath the thing, and he's right. Because for Will Smith to do that off of that type of uh, a joke or that type of an event in the context, uh, we view that, most people view that as a severe overreaction. Sure, there's some understanding and okay, the guy's hurt, the guy's defending his wife, you know, it was, you know, it was a, a, a comment uncalled for, whatever it may be. But the reaction, the reaction of explosive anger tells you something. It wasn't just the, offend, the offense taken from the joke. There's something that lies beneath the thing, beneath the thing. There's more to the story. We just simply don't know, but it's safe to assume for sure. So the next time you're angry, and trust me, you will be, you will be, the next time you, you, you wanna turn green in your anger and hulk out and smash everything, pull yourself outside of yourself. Pull yourself outside of yourself as if you climbed onto a balcony in your anger to look down at the scene where you're angry and ask yourself, what are you defending? You see, because motivation matters. Motivation matters. And when you're angry, there's a motivation behind the anger. If you dig deeper and do the work, often if not most of the time, you will find you were defending your ego. And you were defending your pride. And your ego and your pride, as thick as they may be, is actually rather fragile. And that's where your anger and your wrath and destructive behavior comes from. Motivation matters. We gotta get proactive. We gotta get ourselves out of ourselves so that we can see what is going on underneath in our hearts where there's anger and destructive behavior. behavior. Andy Stanley says this, victims don't want to be proactive about changing. They want to be proactive about making sure that the person who hurt them pays. And so we spend our energy telling our sad stories rather than taking responsibility for our behavior. Thus, we open the door of our hearts and welcome in the Trojan horse of bitterness. And it stands there, a monument, a constant reminder, a constant reminder of a debt someone has yet to pay. Somebody owes us. You can relate, can't you? Because I sure can. To admit that you are angry is an act of vulnerability. It really is. It makes room for reconciliation or the possibility of it. In Ecclesiastes 7.9, it says this, don't let your spirit rush to be angry. Don't, don't rush into it. Kind of easier said than done, right? For anger abides in the heart of fools. It not only abides in the heart of fools, but it'll make you look like a fool because when you're that angry, you're acting like a fool. You know what I'm saying, don't you? You want to take it back, but you can't. When I get angry, I know this about myself, when I get angry, my tongue, my words become incredibly sharp and hurtful. So it's good for me to uh, know that. So when I'm angry and my tongue is about to just say a bunch of these words, you know, it fire off, I just need to just, whoa, whoa, catch that. And if I need to bite my tongue or bite my lip, it's probably a good idea 
Because how many of you know when those words get released, they do damage and damage and consequences that you cannot rewind and remove. In, um, uh, in Psalm 37, 8, it says this, refrain from anger, refrain from anger. Give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Proverbs 22, 24 says this relationally about anger. Okay, this is serious. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. They're going to influence you to be a hothead. You know any hotheads? Since when did any hotheads make a situation de-escalate? I haven't known any yet, and that's why I listen to this. I stay away from angry, hot-tempered folks because I don't want to do that, and I don't want to be like that to anybody, to my family, to my kid, not even to strangers. I don't want to be like that. It is not the way that God desires us to live. So is anger just negative? Like, is anger just negative, period, that's done? Well, I do want to reiterate the comment from Robert Jones. It's a humbling comment. Most human anger is sinful. Hate to break the news to you, but most human anger is sinful. Most. The percentage of any form of anger that's not sinful in human beings is very small. It's maybe, I don't know, if I were to take a guess, 2%. You're thinking here that you're all in that 2%, aren't you? I know. So not all anger is negative, though. Not all anger is negative. Did you notice how I said anger in the negative, and then I said, I did not say, let's look at anger in the positive? I don't want to give it that much, that level of importance, because I, I don't think it's like a 50-50 thing. Oh, 50% of your anger is negative? Well, let's look at the other 50. It's positive. I wish it were that good. The scores were that good, but it's not. So I put here, not all anger is negative. Now, how do we know this? An indication is this. In Ephesians 4.26, it says, in your anger, do not sin. There's a big hint here. Let me help you. You can be angry and not yet sin. So it's the difference between being angry and becoming angry. Being angry and becoming angry is a very small gap. That's why that rise to anger and destruction is very, very short and quick. A key to this is this, to make it crystal clear. Let me rephrase this verse in Neil's translation. In your murderizing of people, do not sin. If you're murdering people, it means you've already sinned. But anger's treated differently. In your anger, which is not sinful, it can be. So being angry is a human emotion, a human experience. We'll get to that later. But it's what we do with our anger that is sinful. It's very important that we understand this. How else do we know that not all anger is wrong and sinful and bad and negative? Well, a key to this is we know that God experienced anger. Many times in the Bible, God has experienced anger and was angry and became angry and more angry. 
And we also know that Jesus, who is the God-man, got angry yet without sin. He was angry yet without sin. Let's have a look at this fitting passage in Matthew chapter 21 for both the fact and demonstration of anger without sin, we call this righteous anger, and the fact that it is uh, approximately a week before uh, Easter, in, uh, as in Palm Sunday, not only in the text, but in our present time and day as well. So Matthew 21, uh, Jesus gets angry here and does not sin. All right, here's what it says. So Jesus rides in to Jerusalem. It's a week before he's about to uh, be crucified. Uh, he walks into church, if you will. He walks into the temple. And Jesus went into the temple and he threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned tables. What a gangster. He overturned the tables of money changers and the chairs of those, uh, the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Jesus here gets angry at the temple, at church. He flips open, he flips over a bunch of tables, and he throws a bunch of people out. He's like, Jesus is like the temple bouncer, right? Self-appointed. But he can be, because he's in not only the temple, he's in a temple that he had prophesied and built for the people for the purpose of the worship of God. But why was Jesus angry? Why was he really angry? Here's why. He was angry at two groups, okay? He was angry at two groups. It was Passover feast time. So you would travel to the temple from hundreds of miles and kilometers away, and you would travel long treacherous, treacherous roads, and you would celebrate the Passover feast to commemorate and celebrate uh, what God had done in freeing his people from slavery in Egypt and parting the Red Sea. When you would do this, you would head to the Jerusalem temple to do this, and when you would get to the Jerusalem temple, you would need to buy and change currency because in Jerusalem, you could only exchange and spend their Jerusalem currency. People were desperate to change their money because of the Passover feast and worship of God and traveling a very long way for this Passover feast. So the money changers, the exchange rate guys, hiked up the exchange rates. They jacked them up 500, 1,000% because they knew people were desperate. It's a little bit unethical, isn't it? Now you say, oh, a guy's got to make a living. Not like that. And so, not only that, then Jesus was mad at the money changers, so he flips over the table. Here's the second group he was mad at. He was mad at the table, uh, the benches and the tables that sold doves. Now, what, what's up with these doves? Well, the doves were a form of an animal sacrifice that people would worship God with on behalf of their families for their, their sins. Okay? It's a sacrificial system here. And so, because they knew you'd travel hundreds of kilometers and miles away, you didn't lug a bunch of animals with you on the treacherous trip. And you are here because you've got to worship God, and I know your culture, and I know your religion. So now I'm going to hike up the sacrifices as well. So now you got dinged this much for the currency, and now you got dinged this much for the animal sacrifices. What an amazing thing to do. Do you see why Jesus is mad now? Does that make you mad hearing it? It'd be, like, it'd be like if we were on the Ukrainian, if we were on the outskirts of the Ukrainian border right now, and they didn't have water, and we owned a convenience store right on the Ukrainian border, and a bunch of refugees were coming, and we would say instead of a dollar or a dollar fifty or even three fifty for a bottle of water, we would say it's a hundred dollars. It's a hundred dollars today. You should be upset. I'd be. 
Jesus is angry, and yet he doesn't sin. He throws them out of the temple. He is mad for the justice of the people. They're being taken advantage of by wickedness, by greed. It's a form of extortion. There's more to this story of why he's mad, by the way, but for the sake of time, I would encourage you to read it and study it on your own. You know, what have we talked about so far? We've talked about anger. We've talked about anger more so in the negative. And then we've talked about, oh, well, you know, not all anger is negative because, well, how do we know this? Because it says in your anger, do not sin in your anger. So you can be angry without sinning yet. And yet we see examples of God being angry. So clearly God is just and holy and right in his totality and knowledge to judge justly and rightly. Therefore, he knows all things unlike us. And so when he judges and makes a call, it is purely righteous. And so he's angry, and in his anger, it is holy indignation without sin. And so what do we do with the anger thing? Do we suppress it? Do we express it? Or is there another way? Anger denied simply becomes anger under pressure. You know what I'm saying? The lid is going to blow off the top soon. So you've got to be very careful with suppressing your anger. That's not what the Bible and God is asking us to do. It is a real human emotion. God is asking us not to suppress our anger. He's asking us to tame it. And he's asking us that when you are angry, check your motives, and in your anger, do not sin. And when you catch yourself angry and you haven't sinned yet, the Bible warns us, get that away from your lap. It's like a hot, it's like a, a hot coal landed in your lap, anger. Get that off your lap. The longer you hold on to it, the deeper you will get burned and those around you. Okay? And so, what do we do? Well, I'm not going to give you three steps or even five steps. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to give you any steps. I'm not going to give you any how-tos. Because like I said in the beginning, uh, the book of James describes and deals with anger as not a bunch of how-tos. Uh, he rather responds with whom to. And in this case, the whom is we need to look at God and run to God in our anger. But anger is so difficult. I can't control myself. I can't do it. I want to help you with something. It's helped me. Every time I face something difficult like anger, and I want to say I can't do it, I catch myself and I replace it with, no, 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 not, not I can't. Admit it. Say I won't instead. I won't is an intentional decision. Will you help me? I won't. It's a no. Live with it. I live with it. But if, will you help me? I can't. It's almost like passing the buck. Just got to accept it. I can't. And so when we deal with our anger, it is very difficult. But I want to encourage you with this verse from 2 Peter, verse 1 to 3. It is deeply encouraging. It says this. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him, of the one who's called us by his glory and goodness. Through his divine power, I have everything I need. We have everything we need in our knowledge and relationship of God 
to give us the intestinal fortitude and character and the fruit of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit to be able to live a life of godliness and goodness in God's name. The Bible is clear on anger in that, you know, it, 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 the, let me phrase it this way. The longer you indulge or remain angry, the highly likely you are to sin in your anger. So here's the thing. Not no anger, but slow anger. Not no anger, but slow anger. Slow anger is the way to be because if, if I've got slow anger, it's a mark of a wise person and it's a mark of my Lord and Savior and my Heavenly Father. Now, some of you may be thinking, you're saying it's okay for me to get angry and kill somebody as long as I do it slowly? No, stop it. Stop it, right? Not no anger, slow anger. You know who's really good at slow anger? Well, God is. In Psalm 86, 15, it says this, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Did you catch that? Slow to anger and abounding in love. What a, what a contrast. In Psalm 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. Anger is a sign of love. Did you know that? Think or imagine this. The last time you got angry, you were angry to defend something or someone you loved most. I would even go as far to say that if you don't ever get angry at nothing, then you probably love nothing. If you don't get angry at nothing, it's probably likely you love and care for nothing. Anger in its pure form is anger toward anything or threat to which we love. Therefore, anger, as Timothy Keller says, is love in motion. Anger in its purest form is love in motion. But idolatry seems to get in the way. It gets in the way. The things we get angry over becomes an ultimate thing and your emotions become over the top and disproportionate to the thing that you're angry about. For example, we get so angry about when we're snubbed or someone says something about a reputation, we blow up, we get so angry over the top. There are things that we should be way more angry over and we're not. I know it's very real to you and you were hurt. But that isn't the main issue. The main issue is sin not in your anger. You know, God was angry with the injustices of his children being led astray, choosing their own way. His children making poor choices, his children killing one another and his creation hurting each other, even to the point where they killed and hurt his own son. I mean, he was angry before he sent his son. And then you, we killed his son. And he did not sin in his anger, but it was all purely motivated by love. And he did that for you. He did that for me. It was motivated by love, by slow anger. Imagine if God reacted with a knee-jerk, disproportionate, disordered type of anger that was so reactive that he decided to slap or zap creation. Half the planet would be gone. 
But in his slow anger, in his long suffering, in his love and holiness, he responds with sending his son. Some have said to me this, oh, but anger motivates you. It, it gets you to do something. That is certainly true, at least in my experience as well. Let me leave you with a final thought from John 3.16. It says this, For God was so angry with the world that he gave his one and only son. No, that's not what it says. That's not what motivated him. It says that for God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's be ruled and led by God's love not be led by our anger. You know, your self-control and mine is not enough. At times we fail, and you wish you could go back to the beginning of your anger, to fix everything, to rewind the clock, to take back the pain and the words and the damage, but you can't, we can't. Although I'm not enough, I'm not enough. You're not enough, he is. And he will meet with us again and again in our highs, in our lows, in our pain, and even in our anger.